Greetings, everyone. I'm excited to have Barry Hadfield, CEO and co-founder on the show. He is the CEO and co-founder of Mindset AI. Barry, welcome to the show. No, thank you very much. Nice to, thank you for having me. Yeah, no, great to have you here. So let's kick this off. Tell us a little bit about your SaaS background. I know we were just chatting before the call that uh, you know you started pre-SaaS. So yeah, tell us a little bit about your, your background. Yeah, thank you. Um, so as I said, started when we sold Perpetual and Licensed Software, um, I actually built up a company to about um, 6,000 customers at that time um, and then sold or didn't sell, actually exited it and then um, started a new company and actually went back and bought that company back from the original found original um, investors and converted it to 100% SaaS company. So I've kind of been through that whole journey and we ended up with about 13,500 customers running a SaaS platform at scale with about 2 million users, 2 million active users. So that was really informative to me about how the business model changed and also the needs of the technology as well to run a SaaS platform at scale. Wow, really interesting. I, I, we could have a whole podcast on that, but <laughs> I have to ask, tell us a little bit about that. So you exited this company and then bought it back and grew it even bigger. So what happened? Did the whoever the owners just couldn't manage it, didn't know what to do with the company? So how what how did it come about that you bought it back? Well, it's, it's really, you know, the perpetual licensing model. Once you're in it, you're very addicted to it. So it's very difficult to actually move to a 100% subscription model from a perpetual model. And the company was predominantly selling into the legal technology sector who actually preferred to buy on a perpetual basis and had massive market share. So pretty much had most law firms in the world using it in some way. So the company just couldn't pull itself out of that spiral. And we saw the opportunity to kind of capture that customer base with a new purely SaaS product and migrate them across. Mm-hmm. Now, it was, it's not something I'll do again, that's for sure. <laughs> it, it took, uh, we were expecting it to take about three years and it actually took about seven. So it was a lot harder to do. Um, it is very hard to kind of keep the revenue, grow the revenue as well as doing mm-hmm. the model version at the same time. Um, um, challenge. That's great. I, I think you could probably write a case study about that. It's amazing, you know, how many deals you see out there where they're still even today making that transition, yeah. you know, where it's kind of subscription, but it's not true SaaS architecture yet, or they yeah. still have that perpetual slash maintenance light or revenue stream that they're trying to convert. And yeah, yeah, that does take, you don't realize it could take years to get them over to that SaaS product. You're completely right. Completely right. Yeah. No, great. Love that. So tell us, Tell us a little bit about Mindset AI. What do you do? So Mindset was, um, so I sold this previous company in 2019 um, to a large private equity firm who merged it in for other companies. And um, we, when we kind of look back and we thought, actually, what was the toughest challenge of running a SaaS platform at scale? Uh, I had a team of about 110 engineers. And if we look, look at what we were working on, the majority of our work were driving two SaaS metrics, which is engagement and retention. And everything else flowed from that. So, you know, CAC flowed from that. Mm-hmm. Whatever metric you want to look at kind of came out of those two, essentially. So we, we had teams of data scientists. We were in deploying the software about 16 times a day. We were doing build, measure, learn. You know, we were doing every sort of methodology we should do, looking at all the analytics and all the data, capturing millions of data points a day. But it was a very, very difficult thing for humans to do, to be attached to watching metrics and understanding the impact of change. So you change a part of the product and something else would break or something would go up and something would go down. We were sitting on the stairs one day after a conference and we're having this conversation and we suddenly had this thought that maybe the whole approach was wrong. So we were doing A-B testing, for example, 
And A-B testing just gets you to the most average version of your product if you do it well. It's like a referendum. You do A and B, 51% you want that, 49% you want that, or you go with the 51%. So you end up with like a, an average version, whereas actually software should go the opposite way. It should become hyper-personalized for individual users getting the perfect version of the software. So we wondered whether we could build an infrastructure or an architecture that would have machine learning optimized for those key SaaS outcomes of retention and engagement and would actually modify the experience individual users had based on what it thought would be the best trajectory and then see whether that was successful. So Mindset was born out of that. It was born out of kind of building those, those kind of that, that team of people into the product itself. Interesting. So tell me more about that, you know, layman like me. I mean, is with that ML, it can actually help with that. You, you're saying that user experience within that SaaS product. Exactly right. So if you, if you think about like in any SaaS company, you'll go into the design department and they'll have personas on the wall. So they'll have, you know, Susie who lives at home with her cat and John who, you know, goes to the office and they'll describe who they think their users are. Mm-hmm. But we do it the other way around. We actually let the personas emerge from the data. So we suddenly look at the data after a bit of usage and say, right, you've got these clusters of people who are making certain decisions around what they prefer. And then you can actually double click on that and then describe that persona. So your user base suddenly becomes something which is much more segregated based on true behavioral patterns. And then you can decide what functionality those people might need. So then you can say, all right, people who are in their first month of using the product who are trying to achieve this goal should have this sort of experience. Once they've been here for a while, the product changes and they have this sort of experience. Okay. Yeah, really interesting. So you can, through this data analysis, then is it like the experience as far as like UX, UI, or just features or like combo or like that you can deliver to these major personas within the product? Exactly right. So you you take, let me give you an example, like a gym application. So Mm -hmm. different people will come to a gym application in different ways. Some people respond to really kind of positive messaging. Some will respond to messaging saying, hey, get yourself into the gym today. Others might respond to graphs and metrics and data about how they're improving. So the system will experiment with all three of those to figure out which one works best for this particular user. Okay. And that user will then see more of the following, but also throw some randomness in. Now, what we've done, so we're now three years into that journey and we have real paying customers using this system. So we can actually demonstrate that um, one of the hardest kind of metrics, which I'm sure you'll know, is the kind of the 30-day retention metric. Mm-hmm. So what percentage, especially on an app, what percentage of users who install your app are still active 30 days later? And industry average is between 5 and 10%. We're currently demonstrating between 60 and 80% retention of users in an app that's founded on these principles. And it's quite logical, really, because the app is delivering to the user what we know that user is interested in and modifying itself in accordance with that. And you have a team of people rather thinking about different UX experiences or different sorts of things for different personas versus just constantly changing the same application. And yeah, interesting. So when you sell into a SaaS company, who are you selling into the, the CTO, the dev team? Who, who is that that you're making contact with? So, so that's a brilliant question. We decided not to go to market with fellow SaaS companies. So we, we realized that this was such a revolutionary idea that it couldn't be retrofitted on any SaaS application. Okay. You had to kind of start from scratch. So the companies that we're selling into are now companies who have attempted to produce a product 
that they might have spent a lot of money on, they have expensive development team, and we come in with our proposition saying, move across to our system. We, we build these individual workflows, which maybe give them the functionality that they need, but we have a shared infrastructure that all our customers use. So we can reapply to different kind of customer segments. Later down the line, I think, we'll kind of open up our APIs so that we can actually work with other SaaS companies, but we have to be much mm. more mature than we are at the moment for that. Okay, so you actually have to get in early on that product build so they can weave your product into that, the kind of the base, like kind of code build of the product. That's right, exactly right. And then we've kind of landed on this, this notion of scaling expertise. So working with management consultancies and other kind of coaching organizations or different organizations that have certain digital IP that they haven't managed to scale. And we provide a platform that does that. So that's kind of one of our go-to markets at the moment around that. Okay. And then I'm sure you you started this out with founder-led sales. So are you calling into who? The dev team, the CEO of that company? Uh, who Who's getting that message about your product within that company? Well, we, we joke about this. So we don't have any salespeople or any marketing mm -hmm. people at the moment. So we, we say we find customers through osmosis, which is mm -hmm. they kind of close in the window, um, which, which essentially means it's all about referrals. So okay. being referred from one place to the next place to the next place. But generally, um, it's going to be kind of um, hopefully the owners of the business mm -hmm. is who you'd like to kind of work with. Um, yeah, that, that's who we Okay. Begin. All right. Okay, excellent. Yeah, love that. So uh, when when was your company founded? Uh, 2020. 2020. And, yeah. and was this, I, I love this, I took the notes before you were sitting on the stairs at a conference. Is that kind of the genesis of the company back, like, say, in 2020 or, or 2019? Yeah, 2019, so just before the pandemic. Okay, <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, just thinking about what we should do and, and came out of one conversation, basically. Mm -hmm. And where is your company located? Um, so we're all over the place. Um, so may, all around the UK, we have no offices at all, so we're fully distributed. Um, a lot of our development work is done is in India, mm -hmm. and our next kind of expansion will be much more into the states. Okay. And what's what's your current team size, including like employees and contractors right now? Uh, so we're about thirty people in total, and probably mm -hmm. half um, employees and contractors. Okay. So fifty, half and half. All right, perfect. And then what's, uh, you know, do you want to share general revenue range, AR range, or is that uh, anything yeah, so, you want to share on the scale of your company? Yeah, so we, we've just passed a million dollars, well, a million dollars ARR. Um, but I think that by uh, Q1 next year, we'll be on about the $2 million range. So very nice growth kind of coming through. Okay, so just passed a million dollars ARR, and then you think when 2 million coming up soon? Yeah, I think as a run rate, a forward-looking run rate, I think within oh. Q1 of next year. Oh, Q1 of next year. Okay. Okay, excellent. Um, and then what, how much capital have you raised today? Saw that, you know, uh, you raised 1.65 million pounds. Is that total capital raised to date or have you raised more than that? No, that's all we've raised. So we, for the first two and a half years, we bootstrapped the business. Um, so we, and I did that very deliberately to actually kind of work on real customers who had real problems that we were solving, who were paying us real money for solving those problems. Mm -hmm. And that's a really good way of finding product market fit. It's mm -hmm. making sure you pay you for what you're doing. So that was very deliberate. Um, and then we raised the 1.65 million from a, a, a VC firm. Okay, interesting. So 1.65 million pounds raised today. And so what were those triggers? So you bootstrapped, looking for product market fit, getting some pay, paying customers. So what led you, what was that trigger that led you to, to raise that round? So it's, it's exactly that. So we found product market fit. 
So we can now have a clear proposition that we know works. We've got customers who be great references for each other, um, produce videos and talk about how they enjoy working with us. So that's the right time to scale the business. So it's the right time then to sell, hire a sales team, hire a marketing team. And so the reason for the raising the money was to essentially spend more on sales and marketing so we could kind of build that up, which we're currently doing. Okay. All right. So found the product market fair, clear customer value proposition, now raised the 1.65 million invest in sales marketing yep. uh, yeah, to, to spur that growth. So you've had a long career in technology and software. Any lessons learned for the founders in the, in the audience right now from that raise or say previous fundraising? Yeah, that's, that's a lovely question, actually. <clears throat> I, I want to write a book on this in, in some way in my future. But I, I think the key message is to make sure that your interests are aligned with your investors' interests um, and that you're achieving the same outcome. Because it's so easy to focus on raising the money, forgetting that this is a relationship, and they're coming to the equation with as much need as you have need. And that, that need, if it can be really expressed in an open and honest way, and you can get them to be really clear about that, you can actually work together to achieve that goal. So I think that that's one thing that's really important. I think the second thing is understanding that your notion of value might be different to their own. So whereas you're excited about a new customer you've won or some new functionality you just released or whatever it might be, what they're listening for is an increase in enterprise value that, that is coming through. And that may not be about your individual wins. That might be just a general, the interest in the trends and the analytics and, and how that's mm -hmm. progressing. So I think it's really important to keep checking back in to make sure that the things that you're saying that you think are the value drivers turning up at the board meeting are actually being interpreted and understood correctly from their perspective. Okay, love that. And that is becoming a pattern so far in these interviews of that alignment with your investors. Yeah. You know, what does value creation mean? Are you yeah. aligned on, say, what does a milestone mean? Are we aligned yeah. on milestones that we're, right, we're trying to achieve with, with that raise? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It flows into an interesting thing, which is really defining to make board meetings actually really useful for organizations. So in my career, um, I hope that none of my previous investors hear this, but I've never found board meetings useful. So that we're just been paying. So we're trying to, in this business, really trying to think through to actually make them a, um, a way that we run the business. And they just happen to be doing that on a weekly basis. And then we happen to the investors once a, once a month, whatever it might be. So I think okay. that, that that ethos extends into how you actually run the business as well. And if you don't mind sharing a little bit more there, because I know founders always, you know, it's like, all right, they get a board for the first time and maybe investors for their first time. It's like, oh my gosh, how do I keep them updated? What do I tell them? What's that communication cadence? So, you know, so you're saying, yeah, board meetings in the past, pretty boring, not useful, but now trying to make those better. So tell so on a weekly basis, is that a weekly update? And then a monthly, you know, video conference, tell us a little bit more about that cadence. So we're trying to make sure that we have all the systems in place that we're using so we can get weekly data ourselves. So what's our pipeline? What are our analytics? All those sort of things. So we're using that data internally. And that same data is what we show to the board once a month. And it's just an amalgamation of that. So I want to take out all of the preparation for a board meeting. It's just an internal, this uh -huh. is what we're doing. And then kind of get input from external people who are coming to the board meeting. Mm -hmm. um, and we were also then once a quarter having an extended meeting, which is much more about a strategy meeting. So where we get different people from the business in. Uh, to be honest with you, I haven't found the perfect structure yet. I'm still mm -hmm. working with that and kind of iterating that through. 
Okay, so taking, right, you want to not have to recreate the wheel each month. So the yeah. systems, the data you have in place that you use internally, then turn that around, give that to the board once a month, and then have those yeah, quarterly strategy meetings. It's also about, you know, being clear about lead indicators and lead indicators. So everyone focuses on revenue, which is a complete lag indicator. And um, there's a whole bunch of lead indicators which, which feed into that. And I, I don't think that they obvious. I don't think they're the same for every business. I think you've got to really understand what they are as you kind of get into the makeup of the business. And then be really clear about that from a, you know, metrics that matter the most kind of thing. Find mm -hmm. the metrics that really hurt you or, or make you feel bad and, and focus on those ones, the ones that make you feel scared and kind of be brave enough to put that up at your board meeting and say, this is the number that we're driving. And this, these are our challenges around that, mm -hmm. you know, which I think, so again, that kind of speaks to real honesty and you can only yeah. do that if you have a good, honest relationship. Yeah, love that. And then you mentioned leading ind indicators. So for your current business, any like favorite that stands out? If I say, hey, what's your favorite leading indicator? What would that be? It's, it's the amount of commission we pay for to referrers. Okay. So so the more money we're making for other people, we know is going to generate long-term money for us. So it's quite funny. It's a payment out, but it's for me, it's our best leading indicator. Love that. Okay. So amount of commission paid to referral partners, leading indicator. Uh, yeah. Love that. So some great, man, some great tidbits there, great tips and tricks. Love it from your experience. Uh, so what's next for Mindset? What, what gets you excited about the future? I'm really looking forward to expanding much more into the U.S. Um, the U.S. is a really nice market to sell to. I've always made kind of on average like 70% of our revenue have come out of the U.S. and 30% of the rest of the world. Um, one of the great things about Americans is that they're um, quite happy to say no. British people don't like to say no, so they don't like to be in a conversation where they be forced to say no. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so I'm really looking forward to that. We're actually in DC next week at a big kind of conference to kind of kick that off. And we've just signed up our first big American client. Okay, love that. Okay, so US expansion coming to the US next week, DC, fun yeah. town. So yeah. uh, perfect. Uh, so if, if for the listeners out there, uh, where can they learn more about your company? Where should we point them to? Oh, thank you very much. The, the, I mean, the best place is mindset.ai, which is our website, which um, will be refreshed next week. So we'll be coming up with a great new version. The current okay. version is the one we put together over a weekend. So. Yeah, perfect. All right. Well, amazing journey so far. And it sounds like this is definitely not the end. Uh, so Barry, really appreciate your time. And, and thanks for yeah. being on the show today. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. Good to speak yeah. to you. You as well. Thanks.